Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Hello, this is Julia Zamiro, and you're listening to Joy 94.9. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to Being There Done That on Joy 94.9. I'm Chris and with me today we've got Gordon and Phil. Here I am. Isn't that good? I scared myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for joining us. And first off, before we get into the meet and greet of our show, we just need to explain what happened last week. Our show didn't go to it. Well, it did go to it. A little bit of it. Yes, but, but somehow there was a transmitter misfortune, and after about 13 minutes, you didn't get anything else. So uh, we've had to recycle a little bit of last week's show, because it was a very, very important show, but we'll be speaking of lots of things on this Our History program. If this is a recycle, are we on a tandem? That, that's a dual cycle, not a recycle. A recycle would be if you ride to work and then have to ride to work again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're into cycling. And I don't know how that's beneficial at all, so <laughs> stop recycling, people. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. And Gordon, please don't confuse Philip. He's sitting here with a frown on his face. I'll be trying to explain what you're saying, and it's getting harder every week. <laughs> Been there, done that, is Joy's Gay and Lesbian History Program. And when we've run out of gay and lesbian activities to talk about for icons and icons, then we'll bring in some local events that are still affecting our lives because we're in a society where things happen, rain falls on all of us. It's not selective. I know it doesn't. It, sometimes it feels as though the rain will dump on you only, but or me only. And actually, history does repeat itself. <gasps> so, are so you there's no be- point learning it. No, are you going to be the person who said, yeah, yeah? No, 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 I, because if you don't learn from history, you're in danger of repeating what, what has actually happened. Right, so if you know you've got a black cloud hanging over you, mm. you're likely to have rain, so you should be quickly looking for your bonnet or your parasol. Yes, that's right, yes. I generally look for a shelter of some sort, but anyway. <laughs> On today's program, what are we talking about? Well, Mr. Philip is going to be telling us about The Simpsons. We've got a birthday girl here in Leslie Gore. 2nd of May, 1946, she was born. And we'll play a bit of music from her as well. We need to recycle the article about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we will be talking about how the military forces have actually been able to address that trauma in their ranks. And there's a little royal connection there as well. We'll be talking about events in history that affect us even to this day. Coral Sea, Port Arthur in Tasmania. There was a problem there some years ago, but it still affects us and there's still an echo happening around the world at the moment with that. We might have time to speak about Keith Herring's beautiful gay artist who died at the age of 31 and whose work we would know because it's so distinctive. And we have got 
another little recycled story about London and the bombing of a gay pub recently, like in the last days of last century, which is only about 17 years ago. Is it? That long ago. It seems like yesterday. It was like yesterday. Well, let's talk about the birthday girl, Leslie Gore. Why was she called Little Leslie? Was it because she was a, well, I uh, just not said. very tall or was it, um, I don't know, because they always called her Little Leslie Gore as one of their sort of um, names for her. I don't they? know. I've never... I don't remember seeing I haven't seeing got her it. height measurement. Leslie Sue Goldstein. Goldstein. The modern generation mightn't realise that she's had a history in music and TV running from 63 with her first hit, which was It's My Party and I'll Cry If I Want To. Oh, what happened at the party, dear heart? Uh, <laughs> well, yes, yes indeed. To the song. But she, she, in fact, composed some more hits for the 1980s film Fame. Oh, that was a good film, that. That was a good film, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But she, as well as her singing, uh, she hosted some gay and lesbian-oriented public TV on whether the PBS channel in the US until 2014, and she actually also made a bit of a hit with the song Sunshine Lollipops and Rainbows, which we will play a little bit later of, uh, a song by the rag pianist Marvin Hamlish. Yes, so get your diabetes kits out because there's going to be a lot of sugar <laughs> towards the end of this thing. <laughs> it's My Party actually sold over a million copies and it was first, you know, a gold record for your first hit. That's not bad going. Pretty good going when you consider the competition that they're usually under in the, in those situations. Yeah. But it would have been a, a subject matter that a lot of people could relate to. Yes, that's it's right. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. That's right, yes. yes. And also would have affected the girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 1967, she was featured in two episodes of the Batman, T- Batman TV show. Oh, that was quality acting. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Zap. It, who, who was Batman? Oh, that was, um, what's his name? Is the mayor of Quahog. Um, you see, I'm sorry. West, was it somebody? Yes. Was? Um, that was Adam West? Adam West, thank yeah. you. Yeah. And who was his little sidekick, Robin? Robin was very pretty. <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> yes, he was, wasn't he? And they, uh, But they also, everybody thought that they were um, partners, of course, as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was a whole thing about Batman. But we're not, we're not talking about Batman and Robin. We're talking about Leslie Gore. Yeah. In 2004, Leslie Gore featured in the PBS TV series In the Life, listing LGBT issues. And after a show in 2005 where she was sprung out after Ellen, I think was the show it was called, she revealed that she was a lesbian. Oh, my God. And she'd been in a relationship since 1982. So 23 years later, she was outed. Yeah, but they probably, all the, all her friends probably knew about it anyhow because you, you don't, you're not in a relationship for 23 years without your immediate friends and probably family knowing about it. That's true. Uh, what did she say here? I just lived my kind of life naturally and I did what I wanted to. I didn't avoid anything. I didn't put it in anybody's face. Hmm. In 2015, she died of lung cancer, but she was still with her partner at that stage. You know, they've been together for 33 years. So who says r- gay relationships can't work? Of course they can. I know friends of mine have worked together for nearly 50 years. Yeah. And one of them passed away and another one, another couple were for 47 years or something rather. Yeah, so we, we can have long relationships. Well, I've been with my partner for 11 years. Mm. 
It yeah. just it doesn't fit the stereotype, so oh, right. it's it's a positive thing. So <laughs> who's going to tell that story? And all those songs that she made hits of, uh, Leslie made herself the voice of teenage girls aggrieved by fickle boyfriends, moving quickly from tearful self-pity to fierce self-assertion. Well done, Leslie. Well done indeed. <laughs> but as well as that, the music is featured in TV, so I'm told. I know one track that's been used on The Simpsons. Yes. And speaking of people who've just turned 30... Yeah. They're not people. But, they're, <laughs> but the but, show has just turned 30. But And they've never aged. No, that's the beauty of animation. Hmm. Because if you hire humans, one of their major flaws is they get older every single year. Yes, and they don't quite look as well as they should do when they're getting older, well, do they? Well, it's pretty hard to play eight years old when you're 25. <laughs> Which would be the case. The Simpsons were very unusual. Didn't they first appear on the Tracy Ullman, Tracy show. Ullman show? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just literally a five-minute cartoon sketch, very crudely drawn. You can see Matt Groening's sense of humour because it was pretty blunt <laughs> at the time. I mean, they only had very little time to get their their story across. But the characters were crudely drawn, and the vocals were very basic. Did Marge have her blue hair? Yeah, but they they were all. Um, hunched somewhat. Oh, but, right. Yeah. But, but they had yellow skin. How could they be a typical family? Well, Matt Groening did that as a joke. Oh. It was quite deliberate to give them yellow skin so that American TV audiences would get up and try to adjust the colour. <laughs> and, of course, they couldn't. No. Because frequently on American TV with their old NTSC system... Not the same colour Well, never twice. the same colour twice. <laughs> but, um, yeah, skin tones could... Go red, green, or blue, or whatever, just at the drop of a hat. Oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, the Simpsons, they started off and got universally panned. Not from the Tracy Ullman show, but once they got onto Fox on their own half hour. And Bart was seen as an under, or he was an underachiever. And the, he has been through the whole show, hasn't he? Yeah, well, that's, that's actually the point the Simpsons are trying to make. And Homer is an alcoholic and Marge is seen as you know, somebody desperately looking for attention with six feet of blue hair. <laughs> and it's just, it was so panned and there was nothing nice said about it. And it would start criticising American institutions and sort of turning the camera back on itself. Philip, was that because Americans don't understand irony or um, that sort of wit? But yeah, they don't, and they don't take criticism well. No. Or they don't. They didn't like that they were making fun of the American family mm-hmm. or showing the failings, and it's what they've been doing for 30 years. And, and doing they, it so well. Yeah, they came to Australia and showed some, frankly, not very positive things about us. Our judicial system was shown to be um, Parliament sitting... And then Bart had made a reverse charge phone call to Australia and refused to pay for it. So they went to Bob, who was the Prime Minister, lying on a, a lilo on a, a dam on a farm. <laughs> and um, so they brought the Simpsons out to Australia to apologise. And um, instead of apologising, Bart mooned the government. <laughs> and they said, well, you, that's now punishable by the boot. So they get this big oversized leather shoe onto the Prime Minister's foot and they go to kick him and he jumps out of the way and escapes. And oh. So, yeah, we were shown to be a little bit backward and had a very well, funny accent. Obviously, Johnny Depp hadn't seen that episode. No. I think Johnny <laughs> Depp was probably at the bank saying sorry. <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, yes, so, so how was Leslie Gore's hit song featured? 
Well, there was a Thelma and Louise styled episode. Yeah. It's not, not a rip-off, not copying and anything like that. And So Marge went off with a woman in a car? Yes, a new neighbour who was recently divorced, but they weren't allowed to talk about the D word. And um, so they were running, running away from the police on a desert road and Chief Wiggum was behind them and he was explaining that they, he was trying to get their position right. Yeah. And he said, they're just under the noon sun now. Oh, right. So he's trying to report back to base <laughs> as if to give them some kind of indication where they were. Oh, God. <laughs> but um, so Marge put in a tape because they were they didn't know they were being chased. And she put in a song that was Leslie Gore's Sunshine Buttercups. She said, oh, no, turn the, the tape over and they're listening to something much harder. Yeah. Heavy. And then we um, we crossed back to the, Chief the police car with Chief Wiggum and Homer in the, on board. And um, he puts in Leslie Gore's Sunshine Lollipops and leaves it on. Because <laughs> that was his chase music. <laughs> sunshine Lollipops and Green Bows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. Brighter than a lucky penny when you're near the disappears And here's another little song from Leslie Gore on Joy. Melbourne's lovable radio station, Joy 94.9. You're with Phil, Gordon and Chris. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us and thank you, Philip, for the Simpsons references. There's lots more, I'm sure, that you can trot out. One day you'll give me the whole hour. Do you, rec- <laughs> do you reckon I'm probably the only person in Australia that's never seen an episode of The Simpsons? You're the only one who admits it. <laughs> <laughs> Others they, probably try to fake it. No, they... Oh, uh, I remember that episode. They are what? still socially relevant after 30 years. One of the re- worst results of natural disasters like earthquakes, floods, fires and tsunamis is felt by civilians, emergency service workers, police, fire and ambulance and even train drivers. They've all been exposed to traumatic events of such magnitude that the memory of the event takes years to fade or will affect personal behaviour forever. And this effect is known as post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, and it's really a mental injury. And some of the mental injuries can be fixed quickly and easily, others take a long time. Armed forces personnel, of course, as we know from the recent Anzac Day references, are the largest group in our society to be so affected. And uh, so I suppose we've got to really ask ourselves, how is it resolved? On the television the other night on the the show that you can't ask that, they had a lot of um, army personnel on. Yeah. And they were asking about those sort of things on this this, um, thing. And it was a very, very interesting thing about what the army personnel were saying yeah mm. and there must be a detuning or or emptying out of the brain or or something because you know talking about things that hurt you or damage you like that is can be useful especially if you've got a good listener and sympathy and comfort is another one yeah i mean when you're a kid your, your mum you know kisses your your wounds you better and things like this and you actually gradually learn to cope with life's little knocks but it's the big knocks that are uh, not the best thing. Yeah, one problem you're told is as you become a man that you just have to, to hold it in and mm, bottle yeah. it up. And which man is, up. 
exactly the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Exactly. Well, of course, the uh, the army personnel, defence personnel, uh, are trained to go into war and to anticipate that this is going, all those horrible events are going to happen to them and be prepared for it and sort of put it in the back of their mind, work their way through it. But it doesn't, it stays in the mind. Well, they have to be trained how to not be soldiers. Come home and process that, the horrible things that they've seen and maybe done. Yeah. And somehow separate that from their now normal life. Yeah. Well, they've got professionals that can do that, of course, psychiatrists and, and other mental health professionals. And uh, the general community also has the benefit of Beyond Blue as a way of making people realise that there are sort of mental injuries that need to be repaired. And it can often take somebody else to notice the symptoms and tell you yeah, that, or suggest you maybe go and talk to somebody. Yeah, but then in that case, you've got to be prepared to go and do it uh, yeah. to, to get something yeah, done. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's no, not. no, it's not easy at all. Now, Prince Harry recently was talking about the mental turmoil that he went through uh, following the death of his mother some 20 years ago, and he has actually just resolved that in his mind. Or well, as he said, he repressed... Yeah. those feelings and it would have been hard because he was 12 i think i think mm, yeah, something like that yeah and he wouldn't have known how to process that I at think that age i think they were probably told you know to stand there you know look you had to be stoic and you had to sit stand there and be look as though yeah, yeah unflinching unflinching yeah. Well, you, you know, look at them in the funeral footage yeah well that's a terrible that's as public as you can oh, be God, it yes. must have been the worst time yeah hmm well Harry grew up to be a soldier as part of his training, his education as a royal, and uh, he, he's seen real action. So uh, he would have. He's also seen uh, a lot of people who've been um, physically injured, mm. and they're being helped back uh, to functionality with prosthetic limbs and devices to react with the nerves and muscles that still remain in their their broken limbs and in the games that he's partly involved with now is to provide some social and competitive aspects to living with prosthetics i think he i think he was one of the main instigators in getting the invictus games going really because he well, knew so many soldiers that had been yeah although i think the american forces have already had a supporting organization much like this as well yeah he had a good model to work on and then if you've got a profile like his well, do the right thing with it he's to be congratulated and, and applauded for doing exactly what he's done because how many times do you read where people have come home damaged from wars and things and the government are, are willing to send them to fight in these terrible places but they're not willing to look after them when they come home yeah, yeah. it's a one way street it certainly is you're with Chris and Gordon been there done that joy 94 point and Phil oh I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I was just going to sit here and be offended. You see, there I am. My mouth is on automatic. Now I, I have pierced. <laughs> oh, you poor love. Great shows, great topics, great radio. Joy 94.9. You're with Chris, Gordon and Phil? No, we're here with Phil, Phil, Chris and Gordon (laughs) to make up for the lost Phil. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you very much, Phil. No. We're at the start of our Radiothon appeal. So do your thing. Yes, so you can... Uh, Renew your membership or join up now. Mm-hmm. We're in May. You've got until the end of June to get in for the wonderful prize, which is Not still a secret. Not allowed to be spoken secret. about. Yeah, yes, yes. It's still a secret until next week. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, give that we may grow. Isn't oh, it? oh wrong, wrong telethon. Wrong telethon. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yes. Give so we can stay on air. Yes. Cost That's $2,700 right. a day. Hour or something like that, doesn't oh, it? Something it's very expensive. Very it's expensive. certainly not cheap. We we might sound cheap, we might act cheap, but we don't come cheap. We should also point out that we personally don't get paid for this entertainment that we provide. Don't we? Oh, I thought my, my big cheque was coming. Well, in, in that case, somebody's been ripping off my pay. <laughs> <laughs> but you can go to the joy.org.au website and um, you can follow the prompts there and become a member and, and donate money to keep joy on the air. That's the main thing to do because we still need joy. Yes, we do. Very well said. We should use that as a slogan. Well, it is, it is the slogan, actually. Well, you heard it here first, almost. <laughs> Around about this time, there was an event that happened up in the northeast area. Out in the Pacific in the Ocean. Pacific, mm-hmm. which we call the Coral Sea. That's right. It's just out past in Melanesia, out that way there. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. actually beyond Yumea and, yeah, and yeah. Honiara. That's right, out that way. But it's still... Close enough. It was close enough. Because what happened at that... What, why, why are we uh, well, the, interested? Uh, the Americans engaged the Japanese in a, in a sea battle. In World War II. In World War Two. And if the Japanese had have won that, they would have had basically control of the whole South Pacific and Australia would have been in a bit of a mess. Would have fallen to could've, the could've, advancing uh, Japanese forces. It could forces. have fallen. It could have fallen, yeah. We so, might have ended up eating more sushi than we currently do. Mm, yes, but it's, it's, uh, it was just one of those things. But the Americans were able to actually defeat the Japanese fleet. And they, they did it from a long way out. It wasn't it wasn't close-up battle because they could, with the new armaments that they had, they could be quite a way apart and still fire the cannons, bullet, the cannons to that at the uh, the thing. They could be even over the over, over the horizon line, and yeah. they, could, they could still find them. You know, so Whoa. yes, it was a, it was a very intense battle. About what was it? Six hundred people died, Australian and American and Americans, yes. sailors. Yeah, and but there would have been a hell of a lot of PTSD coming out of that. I would imagine. Ooh. Yes, that's if you survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so it's one of the one of the big things about the um, the Second World War that actually saved Australia. Mm. One of the things, yes. Australia had prepared for this, just as we're sort of going through a little bit of worry about North Korea. Oh, God. We, there were some advanced plannings within Australia that mm-hmm. there was, if okay, if someone came down through New Guinea, well, that was going to be our first line of defence. But if they then got onto the mainland, well... There was the Brisbane line. The Brisbane line, yes. They um, were going to do... Um, they, actually, they're going to burn everything beyond the Brisbane line uh, so that the Japanese wouldn't have any food. That was the, one of the, the burnt earth um, yeah. policies. Yeah. So everything north of Brisbane line was going to be burnt. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Well, the, and south. They, so that if they did get through to as far as the Brisbane line, there would be no food for wow. them. Mm. And for us as well, and of course. And for us as well, which would have meant we would have been in hell of a position. Yeah, but, yeah. but uh, no, never have... That's an old wartime, uh, not trick, but tactic. Well, it's still being op- done as, as well, of course, in in, oh, yeah. uh, in Syria and um, those mm. places, you know, the way they're doing things there. Well, in Kuwait, when yeah. our yeah. friends left, they burnt all the oil. That's right. Mm. Which it's, would have done wonders for the atmosphere. Oh, Lord, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but the Coral Sea is a, <clears throat> excuse me, is a very um, interesting part of our history, but it's not very well known. Um, not, not much is written about it, but um, I believe um, uh, the Premier of Queensland and Prime Minister 
uh, Turnbull had a, a dawn service this morning. Mm. You nearly said Trumbull. Oh, well, I wasn't Donald Trump, was I? <laughs> <laughs> An event that happened, uh, the anniversary which occurred last weekend on the 28th of uh, April, was an event that happened at Port Arthur, beautiful Port Arthur in the southern corner of Tasmania. Yeah, I never got that far down south in Tasmania, I'm oh, afraid. I only got as far as Hobart. It's, well, yes, it's just yeah, around it's, the corner you, you've from You've still Hobart. got to go further on down south. Around the corner, yeah. yeah. Yep. And it was an old conflict settlement there, mm-hmm. and it's in pretty good condition. They built them well in those days. Well, they had good labour, didn't they? They had good labour and they had a good reason to keep them locked up. Mm. And the reason that they selected Port Arthur was because to get from Port Arthur back on to the mainland, you had to go across this little, very slim isthmus. Yeah, isthmus. Isthmus. Very isthmus. A narrow neck of land, Mm. and they put guardhouse on that. And a few of the convicts, if they did escape, swam across the gap instead. But there was no Noahs there. No. To, so they did yeah. sneak off. But at that particular event on the 28th of April uh, 1996, there was a horrific massacre of innocent men, women and children uh, when a deranged person, I'm, I'm just being kind. Well, he yeah. was a bit off his rocker, wasn't he? He was deranged. Yeah. And we he, don't really need to name him, do we? No. Don't, don't want to give him any coverage. He began a killing spree, and I don't know why they call it a spree, because it wasn't a happy event. It was a very unhappy event. And at the end of the process, how many people were killed? I think there was... 35. 35, that's right. 35 men, women and children. And children, yeah. Which makes it the worst example in our country. Yeah, and, and one good thing from it was the fact that um, it's one of the best things that John Howard ever did was to ban guns and, and have the gun amnesty and everybody was handing in their guns and everything, which made Australia a hell of a lot safer. It was, and it an was example an for the rest of the world, the perpetrator is still locked up. And will be locked up for many a year yet. I don't think I think he's been put away never to be released, isn't it? I think so. Well, I think well, it should no be. There's no point releasing him, is there? Mm. No. Mm. But among those killed were the family of Walter Mickack, his wife Nanette, and their two daughters, Madeline and six-year-old Alana. Mm. And he, Walter Mickack became recognised as the face of the worst mass murder in Australian history, and he's the co-founder of the Alana and Madeline Foundation. Mm, they, they raised money for... Which um, was set up for the memory, in their memory, to provide support for children who are the victims of violent crime. Mm, mm, mm. And Crown Prince Mary of Denmark, a Taswegian, is the patron of that fa- uh, foundation. Yes, that's very good. But it's uh, it was a very, very dark moment in Australia's history, that's for sure, when you consider what he did. Yeah. I can remember hearing that news. I was the service manager at an Apple reseller in Dandenong. All oh, right. And you hear the news coming through and the biggest shock was when we actually found out that it was in Australia because mm. it just was never heard of, well, we anything on that scale. It was something that sort of never really happened, did it? We, we had our own shooting here with um, in the Hoddle Street um, thing, but that was nowhere near as bad as Port Arthur. Mm. But it's still, it's always, a, it's always a blast to the way you think about the, the safety of your own person and, and other people when these things happen because they sort of happen out of the out of um, nowhere. It was the same with that fellow that drove the car up Burke Street. You know, yeah. the, the, these things just happen and the, the, mm. they really sort of put a sense of... of you, you can't predict them. You can't, no. Oh, be a really nasty way. person. Yeah. You knew all these horrible things were coming. Yeah. Mm. 
Someone who else who's had a birthday round about this time, we'll quickly talk about him. Keith Allen Herring, mm-hmm. born on the 4th of May 1958, died when he was just 31 in 1990. He was an American artist and social activist whose work responded to the New York City street culture of the 80s by expressing concepts of birth, death, love, sexuality, and war, and you might have seen his works, but it's... You would have seen them, Chris, with the AIDS Council. The AIDS Council, they have lots of Keith Haring's work that he did for and, AIDS. And they are, they're mainly simple objects or people with dots around them, mm, with mm. little rays. And they're very bold. They're very bold, bold, bold um, shapes and, and colours, yes. And it, it, he, he did them very, very early in the um, in the epidemic when it started. Mm. He diagnosed with AIDS in 1988, and he established a foundation. And its mandate was to provide funding and imagery to AIDS organisations and children's programs, and to expand the audience for Herring's work through uh, exhibitions, publication, and the licensing of his images. He uses these images to speak about his own illness and generate activism and awareness about AIDS. And over a thousand people went to his funeral service in the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. Mm. Uh, For for a person of 31 years, he's left his mark. There's even a a wall in Fitzroy? Yes, there's a wall. When I first went to work with the AIDS Council, all his um, banners and posters were there. Quite amazing stuff. They're simplistic, but they've got a very strong message. Oh, boy, they hit you in the eyes. Yeah, Yeah, they certainly do. And it's good. It's a positive thing. That's the way it's meant to work, yes. You're with Phil... Yes. Chris and Phil and Gordon. <laughs> Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. <laughs> Here's Tegan and Sarah. I used to know you're making for attention. Dropping hands, looking for some tension. Getting tired of making all this racket. Waiting on you to get your ass in here. I didn't want to be so invested. Bringing a little joy to your life. Joy 94.9. Another event that occurred that we fought, mentioned before was a bombing which occurred on the 30th of April 1999 in London. Which is not that long ago, is it? It is not. We were remembering it because some people were killed at this bombing in this gay pub, the Admiral Duncan pub. And... It's the we've got the timeline of what occurred, but it was basically the bombing, the results of the bombing um, using a nail bomb carried out by a neo-Nazi David Copeland. Now, hmm. it's it's not very nice to have it happen to anybody, but it was even not it was even worse that it happened to us, but not that. We are immune in any way. The yeah. rainbow well, flag can't protect us. Doesn't protect anybody, really. But as we've seen for those poor guys in Chechnya, yeah, in and not only that, in, in Orlando, in Florida. Oh, uh, yeah, like that, you know. that's right. But the, the the Copeland Hotel had a history of, of these sort of things happening to it too, going right back to the time when it was first opened. <laughs> and they were somebody had almost did a bombing and set fire to it, and the fellow was sentenced to eight years penal servitude in Australia. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, so we get them all out here. Well, we've said that the it was bombing conducted by David Copeland, but it was actually his third bombing. 
he did you think he had a phobia or something well, about something? Well, he was a neo-Nazi, so I suppose that might have indicated a certain degree of, of uh, inability. Or ethnic cleansing. Yeah. It's a popular term. Oh, <laughs> ah. to be on the end of that tag. <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, the, the third bomb was on the 30th of April, but on the 17th of April th- that particular year in Brixton, South London, there was a... He, uh, had a bomb attack, and then on the 24th of April uh, in Whitechapel, East London. Uh, but then on Thursday the 29th, this is the day before it actually occurred, there were certain things happening in the background. And though those previous bombings were, were actually described by the police as race hate attacks, they had issued a warning to uh, that a gay bar could potentially be the bomber's next target. And the uh, Scotland Yard... Oh, sorry, and another pub in the area had displayed a poster warning customers to be alert. But then some CCTV uh, from the Brixton, the 17th of April attack, was given wide publicity after an image on the suspected bomber was identified in it. And he must have seen that because he thought, well, they're closing in on me, I better... Uh, get the next one up and running and, and happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, he planted a, a, a bag with the bomb um, in the, the pub. In the pub. Mm-hmm. And one of the patrons there actually noticed it. Uh, and the, the bomb exploded at 6.37 in a bag just as it was being investigated by the pub manager. And that's when the deaths occurred. But Copeland, the perpetrator, was captured by the police on the very same evening as the bombing because a work colleague of Copeland had recognised him from the previously published CCTV ah, footage right, yes. and alerted police about an hour, 20 minutes before the bomb exploded. So Copeland was found later that night once the police obtained his home address and he admitted immediately to carrying out all three bombings and was arrested. It was wrapped up and tied up fairly quickly. But among the speeches was one of the police assistant commissioners who undertook to maintain a crime scene van outside the pub to take witness statements and gather evidence until the perpetrator was actually brought to justice. And the van was to be staffed and was staffed entirely with openly gay and lesbian police officers. Well, that and would have been done so that nobody would be scared of well, coming true, forth. true, but that actually marked a turning point for the previously often tempestuous relationship between the GLBT uh, community and the Metropolitan Police. Mm. And the upshot of it all was well, that... Well, was a happy uh, ending. That, well, a um, yeah, happy ending. Copeland was convicted of three murders and three offences of planting bombs and given six life sentences, one for each of these offences. His uh, minimum sentence was 30 years, but recently, or a couple of years later, the, the High Court judge increased Copeland's minimum sentence to 50 years, stating this was necessary for the protection of the public. And Copeland's release will not occur until 2049 at the earliest, when he will be 73 years old. That's if he survives that long. Hmm. If he Happy does. ending. Happy ending. He's well, in the cuckoo house. Yeah. But there it just, it just, it, it's uh, it's the point that um, we through throughout the realms of history, the GLBTI community have always been targeted. If anything looks like going wrong or something is that way, you know, it's just uh, we're I, seen as an easy target. We seem, and if you're a neo-Nazi, you're not a great thinker of the world anyway. No, that's true too. 
Hey, I'm Darren Hayes, and you're on Joy, Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station. And we love having you on our radio station too, Darren. He's a a boy with an interesting history, Gordon. Oh, very, very interesting. Queensland born, born on his birthday is the 8th of May. So he's coming up for another birthday. Um, He was born in the year 1972, so that makes him uh, 45. 45, 45. Oh, getting old, isn't he? Oh, isn't he? Isn't he he getting old? He's older than colour TV. Yeah. Is he really? And that was 75. Oh, right. Yeah. What, what, Phil, what do you know about Darren Hayes? He came out of a savage garden. Oh, no, he did but not. But he survived. <laughs> yeah. He came out of a group called Savage Garden. Oh, of course. Which, which had a great sound. But I didn't think they were Australian initially. It's yeah. a very international sound. Yeah, it was a great sound they had. But they um, weren't. Um, but they split up after about three years or so. They weren't, weren't together very long, were they? No, they, they hit the top quickly Yep, and probably fizzled out. Number two in the one one in Australia, two in the UK, and three in America. So they did pretty well with their Savage Garden. Yeah, mm. so it's some good lyrics though, because it's "Who I want you, but I don't know if I need you." So, <laughs> hmm, oh. It's a very interesting statement. Well, of course, they were aiming for the general listening community. Mm. That could have been a and, and uh, kids of that particular age. I don't. Oh, sorry, kids. <laughs> Uh, but I think a lot of songs are marketed for particular listening groups. Uh, but Darren has actually gone out on his own now. Yeah. And it makes you wonder um, what group he is actually, he actually aiming for He actually days. married his uh, girlfriend, who had, they'd been friends for many, many years. Oh, and he actually he married her. When he was 22, when, when but was, they were separated they by separated. the time was his, he was 26. Yes, they, the marriage only lasted for about four years, yeah. Yeah, and, they uh, formally divorced when uh, Darren was 28. And, you know, just makes you wonder whether some people really should have got together to begin with. But anyway, I'm not being critical no, of that. No. Because he had other pressures on him mm. because he um, started coming out. Just after, after that, that divorce yep, was that's actually right. formalised. And then he moved to London, which, where he's uh, occupying now. That's right. Mm-hmm. And in 2006, he uh, entered into a civil partnership with his boyfriend mm. of that time. And then uh, about seven years later, they went to L.A. And that's where they got formally married in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Because that, by then, the, the U.S. were allowed to have married couples like we are still waiting to have for it to happen here in Australia. Mm. Mm, thank you very much, all uh, you idiots. He's a Star Wars buff, would you believe? Well, he is a child of that era. Oh, I think everybody's a Star Wars buff. Except me, except Gordon. Oh, I don't know. I think on the, the 4th of May, you have a moment's thought. Yes. May the 4th, May the 4th, be, 4th be with be you. With you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Smith and 4th. Yes. Yes. Well, like, how would you not like a name like Chris Smith? Because every December 15th, you'd get Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God. Nothing wrong God. with my speech. No. <laughs> Put your teeth back. Suffer and suck at that. Oh, yes. yes. Suffer and suck at that. Yeah. Oh, look, thanks for being with us today. We've enjoyed this little show, fixing up the little glitchette that went to air last year, last week. But here we are. We'll be back next week. Oh, and we need to say thank you to. A couple of people, though, we need to say thank you to Cupcake. Oh, yes. He's not a people. No, Cupcake. He's a four-legged people. Little doggy, yes. I hope he's still not chewing the furniture for She isn't. No. No, yeah. She looks so quiet. 
stretched out there. Sound asleep on the, the, on the s- photo we got here. Yeah, on the satin <laughs> sheets, so I don't know. Oh, Nina, I think you spoil cupcake somewhere along the line there, dear. <laughs> yes. The same as I know. I know Philip spoils Eddie, so it's all right. I think this is what happens when you have a puppy dog. Well, he's the boss. He's the boss. Yes. Yeah, that's true too. And we've also got to thank Julia. Julia does our podcasting, which is um, wonderful thing to do too. So you can gives you another chance to listen to our quality material. Yeah, very much. So. Or the stuff that we do each week. <laughs> thank you, Philip. <laughs> Let's go out with Darren Hayes because of your birthday. He's popular and so are birthdays sometimes. You're on Joy 94.9. Been there, done that. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. I've got a plan to make it rich and famous. Lucky for me. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.